On today's episode, Unweaving Chronic Pain with Andrea Moore. Welcome to the podcast, helping you train, rehab, and run smarter. When I first started running in my 20s, I knew it would be something I'd be passionate about for the rest of my life. But unfortunately, developing injury after injury disrupted my progress and left me undertrained at the start line on race day. Even with my knowledge as a physio, I still fell victim to the vicious injury cycle and when searching for answers, struggled to decipher between common running myths and evidence-based guidance. That's what this podcast is here to help you with. So join me as a Run Smarter Scholar and let's break the injury cycle by raising your running IQ and achieving running feats you never thought possible. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, We're diving into another episode with a particular favorite of mine. I always love talking about pain and pain science and have been talking with Andrea for a while now. Um, We're actually scheduled to do this. I had ideas to have Andrea on uh, last year. um, And since then, like a lot of stuff has happened, a lot of interviews, a lot of other podcast um, types and got until like maybe, I don't know, six months later when I'm like, hey, Andrea, um, you're still on my list. Let's do this. And so uh, finally got the time to sit down with Andrea and talk about all things chronic pain. Andrea is a physical therapist. She is an orthopedic specialist, a nutritional therapy practitioner. She is a certified life coach and she hosts the Unweaving Chronic Pain podcast talking about all things um, chronic pain, which we'll talk about in this interview. Um, I wanted to really pick her brain today to talk about how she got involved with working with chronic pain and what we can personally do to understand more about pain, understand more about recovering from pain. And if we do have chronic pain, some practical takeaways for people to, to uncover. Um, she's also an online therapist and uh, all the links and things, resources that she discusses will be here in the show notes. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. Andrea, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm so excited to be here, Brody. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about your day-to-day professionally. What does that look like at the moment? (laughs) Great question. Yeah. So I see clients all virtually. And mm-hmm. so depending on if it's like a client day or an admin day, it could look a little differently. But on client days, I typically only see two to three people tops per day. I like to have a lot of time with my clients. And then I also leave time for prep and like decompression. So it's a lot of my own um, inner work and like own uh, processes that I have so I can really fully be present with a client. Um, so that includes might be some form of meditation or energetic processes or just going out and walking. That's a huge one for me. It's just getting outside and, and moving. Um, I, again, depending on the day, I might start the day with some CrossFit, um, or a run or something. It's too cold for running right now, but so right now <laughs> it's more going to the gym and doing CrossFit is <laughs> usually how I start my day, I guess. And then, um, lots of family time too. That is really built in. My son is six, and so he gets out of school around three, and I try to have things wrapped up. Obviously, there's always exceptions, but I try to wrap things up so we can have family time and always have dinner together and um, then just hanging out with my husband afterwards after he goes to bed. (laughs) Excellent. Well, I'm interested to hear how you became curious and have this special interest around chronic pain. You have the podcast Unweaving Chronic Pain and seems to be a particular population that you've addressed. So how did that come about? Yeah. So I started working as a physical therapist in 2011 and from literally my very first client, like when I was like, you know, off on my own as a clinician, no more shadowing or anyone following me around was someone with 40 years of chronic pain. I mean, one of, to date, one of the most complex people I've ever seen. And it was just this massive moment of awakening of like, I have absolutely no idea how to help this woman. And there is no protocol. There was nothing we learned. And a lot of the attitude was a, "Mm, you know, she might be making some of it up. There's really nothing you can do. You just kind of got to like you know, do some things, obviously, like help her get stronger, but like you, you can't help the pain. And 
I didn't really like that answer. And I, I got a lot of clients like this on my schedule. Like the universe just kept handing clients to me and I had my own chronic pain as well. And so to hear the mindset that was taken around chronic pain clients really rubbed me the wrong way. And so I got really interested in learning more. And I was lucky enough to be doing a residency where we dove into chronic pain and went into the neuroscience and I was just intrigued. And so I just spent all of my continuing ed learning more and more about it and was like, there is such a gap that is missing here because we understand a lot of it. And it was just, I mean, like most science, it's like 20 years delayed from getting into the school like curriculum. And so I started bringing in what I learned and then from there realized there were still gaps, which I'm like, I could, I could get into like a lot of detailers. So I'm trying to kind of keep it short, but there were still pieces that were missing for certain populations, mainly being women, mainly a lot of times, like the more high achieving uh, type A population who was kind of on the outside, nothing was wrong. They were really in invisible pain. And I just felt like they were being discarded because their lives looked good on paper. It was like, you're fine, kind of get over it. And I fit that population. <laughs> and so <laughs> that really became a special interest to me of like, what is it about this? And a lot of the traditional things weren't working and I just wanted to learn more. And that's really where I got into the trauma aspect of things and really diving deeper into the nervous system and how it relates to chronic pain itself. Yeah, I could imagine it's just like, learning one piece of the puzzle at a time that has like a hundred pieces that are involved and just every little bit you learn, it's sort of like applying to clients, applying to yourself, applying to your understanding. And then it just pieces. I think that was the same for me. Like at university, we didn't really learn much about chronic pain. We learned about neuroplasticity for like one lecture. We learned about like a biopsychosocial approach um, for a couple, but none of it really landed. Um, and yeah. it was only once I graduated that, you know, you start talking to some people here and there, you start coming across some studies, you start coming across some case studies and like bit by bit, it sort of just started evolving for me. Um, was it a similar experience for you? Absolutely. Yes. And I love the way you talked about it with a puzzle because it felt like I was building like all these puzzle pieces on one side, like the physical therapy aspect of things. And then I just got really interested in like the, the mindset, thought work, like trauma work, like having nothing to do with pain. And so I was building like a whole other puzzle. And then all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, these fit together <laughs> really well. And it felt like the pieces that were kind of left hanging on the chronic pain in the physical therapy world where they'd just be like, well, then you can do some mindfulness and meditation. And, you know, I feel like it just would kind of fall off of like, yeah, okay, go do some stuff with the nervous system. But there really wasn't a lot of meat behind it or troubleshooting when maybe that didn't work for someone. So I was really able to bring in all the other things that I was learning about the nervous system from a more trauma perspective that I realized fit in and were like the missing pieces on the physical therapy end of things. Yeah. And when we're talking about chronic pain, um, most papers will say like, you know, three months of persistent pain or six months or 12 months of persistent pain. And I'm wondering if you have a certain definition or characteristics or, um, you know, pain behavior that you think might be best suited for more of a chronic pain intervention rather than like a purely mechanical, if someone sees a physical therapist per se. Yeah, I think it's, I feel like it's like the endless almost debate that shouldn't be a debate because it's so individualized ultimately. Like the three to six months, I'm like, that is kind of the definition, but I am a like manual physical therapist at heart. And I also see, I want to like acknowledge that I see it in the more mind body world where there are some people who just need a hands-on physical therapy approach or like a more traditional approach that are kind of getting shoved into this mind-body world where I'm like, maybe you just really do need to roll out your quads. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe you really do just need to stretch or move or like, like maybe it's actually not so complicated. So I do see that as this side of like the mind-body stuff is becoming more popular. I see people... Uh, sometimes getting missed. And so I, I always recommend getting a high quality, some type of whether it's a physical therapist or an athletic trainer or someone that you really trust that like works with the body, get the evaluation, right? Like really have that assessed 
and either ruled out or it doesn't have to always be ruled out. Sometimes it's a both and perspective, but I'm like, to me, if you can do hands-on or something physical first and that doesn't work, then that can sometimes lead you more into the, okay, maybe there's something else going on with the nervous system um, side of things. So that's, that's one aspect, especially if you're an athlete, if you're a runner, like there's like kind of reasons to have something more mechanical and it's like, absolutely get that checked first. However, if you've done that route or that route has plateaued or it kind of just came on for no reason. It doesn't quite make sense from a mechanical perspective. You know, you're, you're stumping a few people or people are like, I really haven't seen this. This is interesting. Or it's not responding as it is expected to, or you have trauma in your past, or there was like a, a car accident, a trauma, traumatic incident. That's when I would say, look more into the mind body side of things. And I tend to see a lot of people with a certain personality type, myself included, of like a little more type A, a little more on the anxiety side, or sometimes on the depressive side of things, um, more perfectionist, a little more high strung, that's me. And often a lot of those personality traits are correlated with chronic pain because it's correlated with a lot of like tension and increased sensitivity in the nervous system. Could you maybe come up with an example of, you mentioned something that might not be as mechanical in ways of pain. Could you maybe highlight what that might actually look like in a, um, as an example? Yeah. So one that's coming to mind right now is pelvic floor pain. Um, and that can manifest a lot as low back pain too. Um, and it's, I mean, pelvic floor is related to everything, but I see this more and more, especially in women, um, where they are having some type of pelvic floor pain, whether it is with activity, with sex, with, you know, just sitting, you know, tailbone pain, things like that. And they go to the doctor, maybe they even are, maybe they are lucky enough to actually go to a pelvic floor therapist and the therapist kind of like, yeah, I mean, maybe some things are a little tight, but like nothing, like it doesn't match. And that's a big thing is like the amount of pain you're having just doesn't make sense with what we're like finding physically. And so that person might have a history of sexual abuse, um, you know, it could be a history of, again, just a lot of anxiety, which can lead to a lot of tightening and like the, the nervous system really wanting to keep safe. And you'll see that in a lot of like um, creating a lot of tension in different areas of the body, a lot of tend to pelvic floor, but it literally could manifest as knee pain as well. Like it can be anything. And oftentimes these uh, people, and this is what it was for me, like are just living in like a fight or flight state. And they're very, very go, go, go. It's hard to like bring themselves down, hard to maybe fall asleep at night. Not always, but you know, for, for some people it's like they wake up really easily. They're kind of more jumpy, like that type of personality. Again, not always. I really want to say that because it can be different, but this tends to be a high amount of the clients I see. And I would also say there is a lot of fear and anxiety about about the pain as well. So I think everybody has had that experience where they have stubbed their toe or like maybe you've slammed your finger in a door, like something that freaking hurts, right? But you know why it happened and you know it's gonna go away. Like the stubbing your toe, you might have that moment where you're like swearing and you're like, damn it, <laughs> right? And you have your reaction, but kind of after that, it might be throbbing, but you're like hobbling around and you're just basically ignoring it. Like, right, like you can just move through because you know it's gonna be gone versus that pain where it's like, oh my gosh, why is this here? What's wrong with me? What did I do? Oh my gosh, am I gonna hurt myself more? Am I gonna be able to do this tomorrow, right? And it's, you find your mind stuck on it. You're Googling, oh my gosh, wait, could this be this? Could this be this? Is this cancer? Is this, am I going to be able to pick up my kids? You know, and it's like this, this really future catastrophization thinking often when there is that, even if there's a real injury, even if there is like an actual, like, Hey, I just sprained my ankle. And like, I have physical evidence of that. When you're in that type of mindset, that's very associated with the increased sensitivity of the nervous system that leads to chronic pain or that would really benefit from the type of intervention, um, you know, that, uh, that involves a mind body approach. 
Mm. So like I say, sometimes a personality trait, not necessarily, but sometimes a personality trait might leave someone in like a default state for if they end up getting pain, they have a overreaction of the nervous system, which then could um, increase the likelihood of prolonging the pain and, you know, moving into this persistent pain um, experience that they have. And I could just imagine if someone is by default without any pain, more of a perfectionist, more anxious, uh, more fearful, uh, one to catastrophize and be pessimistic or something along those lines, then they get injured and all of a sudden that kicks things off, that sparks the future catastrophization, the maybe dwelling on the past of things that they did wrong to lead to this injury or the stuff that they can't do. I've got to travel, I have to travel, you know, and I don't know if I can make that. I've got a holiday planned with my family. I've got this job that requires me to provide income. I don't know if I can do that. And then this sort of spirals things to wind up the nervous system and make everything a little bit more sensitive, therefore is a little bit harder to overcome. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, it is absolutely so fair to say. And what I want to add to that about it, like, because we're calling, you know, I, and I called it a personality trait and it's referenced to that a lot is that, yeah, I think to some degree, there is some like inherent personality traits, but as somebody who was very much that person you just described, right? So like no judgment at all, but like I was highly reactive. I mean, you can tell by me talking, I'm still clearly a little high strung. That's never going to go <laughs> away probably, but right. Like that is just part of me, but there we often, what, what I like to get to is the root of like, why is somebody even wired like that in the first place? And I think often that's what gets missed. And so it's like, there is a lot you can do with just operating from the perspective of like, hey, this is your personality and it is creating this uh, oversensitization in the nervous system. But where I really like to go is is deeper than that of like, why is that your default in the first place? Like what, what is going on? What is your nervous system holding onto that made it so that is how you are reactive to the world? And I can say from personal experience and experience with many, many clients that a lot of times you absolutely can shift that default setting that you aren't so reactive anymore, that things just kind of like, you know, things happen. Like we had a pipe burst in our home, like our, our pipes froze and there was like literally a waterfall coming out of my ceiling. And it was like such a moment of like, wow, like had this happened five years ago, like I don't even know what type of ball of anxiety I would have been, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I would have like, it probably would have ruined my whole week. And it was like, okay, called who I needed to call. We got it did what we needed to do. And then it was like, I just went on with my day, right? Like there wasn't that constant and having had had a flood in our house, like five years ago, like I had such a different baseline of how I was then and how it like disrupted my whole life. (laughs) And like, it just just didn't like, I like had forgotten about it like the next day. And I'm like, went down to the basement. I was like, Oh yeah, crap. Okay. We got to figure this out. (laughs) But like, it was fine. Right. And it's like, you still just get things done without all the emotional drama around it. And, um, it's a much nicer way to go through life. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also good to know that um, people can, you know, shift that default because don't want people to listen to this and feel like they're always destined to have chronic pain just because they're wound a certain way or think a certain way or behave a certain way. Yes. Um, so it's good to provide that reassurance. And I guess we've, I had written down as a question of like, how would you treat chronic pain differently compared to just your standard musculoskeletal injury. Um, you did mention the mind body a little bit. Could you maybe, um, Mm -hmm. mention to, to the listeners exactly what that might entail? Yeah. So, I mean, at the core of it, because we've talked about nervous system sensitization a lot, and it's like at the core of it, when you've had pain for greater than three months, it, we know that it changes your nervous system and it creates increased sensitivity. So what often is lingering is not a injury, but it is just the pain itself in the nervous system. And so, so it needs to be treated at a nervous system level versus at the like location that it hurts level. And that's really where I operate is like, why is that sensitization there? 
And what I use is the whole self integration method, which is a process that I developed, you know, over a decade of working with people. And it involves different layers. That's going to look very different from person to person with how it is actually implemented in practice. But step one is always identifying, like, what are your desires, right? Like, what are your outcomes? What, what do you care about in life? What are your values? Because we have to know what you're moving towards. A lot of times when it comes to chronic pain, people are just stuck trying to run away from pain, get away from it, resist it. They don't want it there. No one likes pain, right? Naturally, we're going to be like, get, get, get it away, fix it. Right. And it's like, that's okay to have an element of that. However, when we stay only in that, it actually keeps us stuck in the cycle of chronic pain because it teaches our body when we have a reaction to it of like, oh, I don't like this here. What that tells our body is, oh, something is wrong. I should react more to this. And that just keeps the sensitization going in the nervous system. Never, obviously, what we are intending to do, but that is unfortunately how our nervous system works. I always tell people, like, the nervous system is not logical. You have to treat it like a toddler. Like, it does not, your logic thinking will not apply here. <laughs> so, so we really want to get clear on, like, what are we moving towards? Not just what are you trying to move away from? And then... Step two, and this, this is both like a macro level process and like a micro level process, but step two is really meeting you where you are. We have to meet someone fully where they are to know where to go. It would be like if you were, you know, let's say for whatever reason you wound up lost, your GPS died, your phone died or whatever, you know, you, you need to know where you are on the map to know where you need to go. And that can be really hard for some people because a lot of times that takes taking like stock of life, like a lot bigger things of like maybe things that have been neglected or things that you've let, you know, fall by the wayside or maybe relationships in your life that, you know, are not where you need it to be. Maybe you don't have the support system, right? It, sometimes it can involve some really big, heavy things. And we do that in baby steps, little by little in the capacity of your nervous system. But ultimately we have to come to some place of meeting yourself where you are. And then we're diving into step three, which is this introspective inventory, which is where we're really evaluating the nervous system patterns that it's holding. Like what has it learned in your life? Is it even holding on to things that were passed down? Because we know trauma gets passed down through the DNA. So some of these nervous system patterns might not even be yours. And then in that, in that step, it's really doing some nervous system clearing, rewiring, repatterning, putting in new beliefs, new uh, patterns that support where, again, always going back to that desire, where you want to go. And step four is always going to be aligned action. We got to take action in life. We got to move forward. We got to, you know, it can't all happen you know, in the mind body world, it can be a lot of like meditation or processes that like happen in the comfort of your own home. But ultimately, you got to get out there and live life too, because this is about getting back to life, being able to live your life to do the things you want you you want to go do. And again, that whole process is macro of like it takes place over months or years, but it also can take place in like a tiny baby step of like, I'm going to have the desire to go for a walk today. And then you might go through the steps and, you know, ends in the aligned action of actually taking the walk. And that could be a five minute process that you're going through. Um, so again, it's going to look a little different for everybody, depending on what they're holding onto. But I, you know, I really am a big fan of empowering people to know how to use these tools on themselves and to learn what they need to talk to their body and to figure out what their body needs and not have like ultimately I'm not the one who tells them what they need. It's always about, okay, what is your body? What's its message for you? What is pain's message for you? What is your body's message? And be learning how to interpret that in a way that is supporting you and your goals. Yeah. I think that it's really interesting going through those practical steps and sort of talking people through and people will instantly realize that's completely different to a just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. 
The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Traditional sort of rehab where someone might do some strengthening, might modify their activities, might, you know, just pay attention to pain and see if it's within acceptable boundaries of pain and like that particular mechanical approach. Um, And I think people need to realize that when it comes to pain, it's not the muscle tendon bone that's producing that pain it's all like you've mentioned before it's the nervous system and it's the brain that delivers it to that nervous system and winds up that nervous system and there's um needs to be sort of like a two-pronged approach where some people might be leaning a little bit more towards the strengthening mobility massage manual therapy side of things with Mm -hmm. potentially like you know a five or ten percent uh intervention of this mind body stuff but could quickly shift into the other direction where somebody might need a huge shift in this mind body understanding and maybe a little bit of assigning some movement and mobility and reassurance and that side of things um and you know what I, I believe that everyone should have both approaches, no matter how where, where they find themselves. It's just maybe heavily reliant on one or the other, pending their characteristics. Because if you rolled your ankle, uh, the pain's still coming from the brain. It's still coming down from the nervous system. It is not the local site that's delivering that pain. And that pain is manipulated and amplified and dampened by what how the brain dictates what should happen based on, you know, how frustrated you are, what emotional state you're in, what relevance you have to it happening in the in the past. And like, you know, all these sorts of stories and narratives and experiences all come together to produce a pain experience. Um, and so in almost all cases, we should ex- expect to or at least understand this is where the pain's coming from. This is what's influencing the magnitude of pain. Um, and so these, these steps really do... Uh, fit in alignment with that um anything to add to that before i move on to my next question no i mean i think you are spot on and i think this is where the like the the individualization has to come in because it is so important to do what is right for you and i'm so i'm so in agreement with what you're saying about like the both I have so many clients who are doing a musculoskeletal approach or who are in the gym or, you know what I mean? Alongside the work we do, I feel like it is not about one or the other. It is like, what does your body need? Right. Let's say somebody needs strengthening. Like you said, like they sprain their ankle, like muscles will get weak after that muscles need to be, you know, kind of turned back on depending on, you know, what's going on. And, but let's say there's, there's, there's such a difference between somebody who's like, all right, I can just like go to PT, do my PT exercises. And like, there's, there's no, it's no problem versus somebody else who is, has a lot of fear or a lot of pain. And then they're really scared to do them. And there's a lot of anxiety about doing them. And, you know, when they do them, it hurts. And so they stop, you know what I mean? There's like a lot more involved. So it's like, they can't even get to the part where they're doing like the exercises, for instance, um, because of all the fear and anxiety in their system. So it's like that person might need a lot more of the mind body approach, but you can't ignore doing the physical approach as well. And I always tell people, it's like, if you can do all the things that you want to do and you're making progress and you can go to the gym and you're noticing, Hey, pain's, you know, slowly getting better. The more I strengthen then like, I mean, keep doing that. Right. It's like, (laughs) it's really like about reflecting on like what it is, is what you're doing working because it's amazing. I will hear people who are like, yeah, I go to the chiropractor three times a week. You know, I, I go to the gym, I do these exercises and I've been doing this and they'll say that it's helping. And then I'm like, okay, so like, how much progress have you made? And they're like, I haven't made any progress. There's almost like a fear of not going though, but it's like when they evaluate and they've been doing this for a year and they haven't made any progress, it's like, we might want to reevaluate your treatment versus somebody who's like, nah, I'm seeing massive improvement. I'm moving towards my goals. And it's like, well, what you're doing is working. Keep, keep going. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I do uh, have chats with runners all the time and particularly those who have, an ongoing injury for many, many months. And I always like to ask them, like, how is that trajectory looking for you? How's that plan work, working for you? If you're doing body weight exercises or bridges or just mobility exercises, okay, um, might make them feel good in the moment. So that's what they feel compelled to continue to do it. All of those exercises might have 
helped in the initial days, in the early days. And so they're again, attracting, attracted towards doing that because it's helped in the initial period, but then they're sort of stuck. They've plateaued and they've stayed there for six months. And um, like you've said, maybe a question they should ask themselves is maybe we need to really evaluate things if we're going through the same cycle and over and over without much improvement. Um, so very good for people to sort of self-reflect on those sorts of things. Um, do you get any pushback? Like if you're, if you've identified someone who would would benefit from, or you believe would benefit from, like a mind body approach, and you sort of try to educate them about the nervous system or talking about chronic pain and how we address it, is do you ever get any pushback or you know hurdles that people need to come over, and how do you address that? Yes. Um, not as much anymore, just because at this point, somebody who's reaching out to me is self-selecting I thought that. into my work, yeah. <laughs> which is nice. But I do want to say, even with that, and again, it, it's really less or less of less. Um, I have had people who have even reached out, known what I'm about, and then still um, give a lot of pushback to it. And especially when I was in the clinic and I would, you know, maybe try to just put my approach on people <laughs> um, who, who weren't ready for it, which, you know, t- was a learning curve for me of like, oh, not everybody is open to this. Um, it's, I feel like the pushback often is because for some people, it really can bring up some really deep wounds And I think that needs to be held with like the utmost compassion and respect and honoring of like where somebody is in their life. And I know the work that I specifically do, which is really going deep with people or teaching them, you know, I work both group and one-on-one with people. It requires a, a certain level of, of safety in their life and a certain level of capacity to even approach. So somebody who maybe is in like an abusive relationship, for instance, or who, you know, is really struggling with like getting on their feet financially, and you know, he just has like other things, a lot of things going on. This approach really might not be the best way. It really, I I really do not take it for granted that it's like the the approach that I offer, like requires a certain amount of like privilege and luxury to be able to take time out of your day to like have the peace and the calm. And it doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, for some people it's like 15 minutes a day, but not everybody has that or has that available to them. And so, or sometimes they might be better served working on something else first, like, you know, maybe getting into a job that suits them better or out of a toxic relationship or something like that, right? Like their resources, you only have so many things you can pay attention to at once. Um, so in terms of pushback though, like in the clinic, especially when I feel like it was always different in the clinic, right? Because someone is it, they're not, not that they're forced to come back to me, but they're on my schedule. <laughs> it might be somebody I'm seeing more and more. Um, I found education went really far and it's just like dropping in nuggets and tidbits of just learning how the nervous system works and understanding for like what the barrier is. Sometimes the barrier is simply education, um, especially maybe for the older generation who was taught that the brain is static, right? Like who is from a very traditional approach where they don't understand that the brain can actually change Um, or they're really bought into the idea that, you know, the place that hurts is where the injury is, or they're really, really identified with their injury, especially if it's an older one, um, or it's been going on for a long time, and it's kind of part of their identity, that some of that information, again, can be very, like, unintentionally confrontational. Um, They might not be ready to lose that part of their identity. So, Again, knowing like, what is it? Is it just an education and a misunderstanding piece? That that piece is usually pretty easy because then I can just drop in nuggets or if they're willing to learn, then usually once something clicks, they're like, oh my gosh, I want to learn more. And they get really excited. When it's an identity thing and they're not ready to look at it, I, I don't push That's I drop the nugget and then it's, I trust that it will be planted exactly as it needs to be planted. Yeah. Um, doesn't happen much these days, but um, when I was in clinics and I would see people with chronic low back pain all the time, chronic neck pain all the time, that would be the bulk of the people I see. Um, and they would see a GP first, they'd see a doctor, and then they'd come to me 
and they'd say, oh, the doctor said it's all in my head, but I'm not making this up. This is, this is real. This is like, I have pain. It's, it's not me making it up. And you can see that the doctors tried to communicate, I guess, that their chronic pain isn't to do with their soft tissue themselves. And there's something to do with the brain and the nervous system. However, that was communicated, wasn't received very well. (laughs) Um, and, or it wasn't very, it wasn't interpreted very well, I guess you could say, because they just walked out there being quite angry and voice their frustrations with me. And, um, it's very hard to, you know, change a, a belief with someone who's had that feeling like, you know, they're not believing me. My medical staff isn't believing me, but, you know, I like to tell them, well, you know, all pain comes from the brain. So technically they're right, but this is probably what they mean in trying to sort of rationalize that sort of stuff. Do you ever come across that anymore? Yeah, no, not as much anymore, just because again, usually if someone's coming to me, they, they're they already into the mind-body stuff. But yes, I came across that a lot. And the line I would always use, the line I'd always say to women, so excuse me for your male listeners right now <laughs> and yourself, would be like, assuming the doctor's a male, because sorry, a lot of times it was. Women are women doctors are guilty of this too, though. But I'd be like, you know what? If you kicked your doctor in the balls in that moment, you could be like, that pain's in your head too. <laughs> <laughs> because because it is, right? Like it doesn't make it any less real. And that usually I think got got people's attention <laughs> um, <laughs> of like helping them see that the the pain being from the brain doesn't mean that something is wrong with them or that it's made up. And I think that is probably, that is such a huge hurdle. And I think it it is so mind blowing to me that we have this perception of this organ that literally controls our entire body. That somehow saying that it, it, it resides in your brain means that like it's made up or that it's not real when it's like, this organ's kind of a big deal. Why do we neglect mm. it so much? The last I checked, our brain does a lot. So yeah, I mean, it's, yes, that was that was a really big thing. And I think undoing it, especially when it's years and years of, of hearing that or hearing there's nothing you can do was another big one of like, oh, there's nothing you can do. I feel like those things become kind of seeped into somebody and yeah, it can take, it can take a lot to undo, undo that. And I think somebody, you know, they have to be willing to like want to undo it as well. Hmm. That was going to be similar to my next question, because I have a lot of clients who have persistent pain and let's just say they're runners um, and they have this high hamstring pain really hurts to sit and they've been doing their rehab, they've been doing their strength exercises, and they're sort of seeing a little bit of a little bit of improvement, but it's, you know, not it's plateauing out a little bit. And they say, okay, uh, Brody, I listen to all your episodes on chronic pain and I kind of understand it. Uh, I do recognize that uh, I am a little bit stressed and fearful to sit. I'm fearful about this injury. I do dwell on it a little bit. I just want to see how much of this pain presentation is actually chronic, how much of this is mm-hmm. my muscle and my tendon producing the pain. Um, I'm r- ready to give something a go just to explore other options. Uh, what would be your advice for that type of person? Yeah. I mean, one, first off, massive celebration to that person for like sticking with their, you know, rehab protocol and like doing all the things. And then for recognizing like, hey, maybe there's something else here. And I mean, I think it takes a lot to be like, yeah, there's, there's some anxiousness here. There's some fear here about sitting. I feel like there's just really celebrating that person willing to, to see that and, and do something about it, I think is, is first and foremost huge. And so it would really be allowing yourself you know, and again, it's going to look different based on, you know, someone's just listening and they're trying to have a practice versus like work one-on-one with somebody to dive in. But it's, it's amazing how much our body holds and knows. And so sometimes it's just about asking your question of like, either what is, what is this pain here for? Like what, what is its message for me? And really sitting with that and allowing your body to respond and you to hear the answer, which can be easier for some and not so easy for others. Um, or really, you know, if it feels like something that 
just feels too scary to do on your own or too confusing, then it's like, reach out for specific help, like reach out for support. Because a lot of times this nervous system work can really benefit from having another nervous system, aka another person guide you because we are social beings. And having somebody to walk you through things to really be, you know, telling somebody else what's going on, have them help you like reassess it and relook at it maybe a different way because you can't see the forest through the trees type thing um, can be so immensely supportive and really a whole lot faster way to go through it than trying to figure it out yourself if you're feeling stuck. Right. And is there, this can be a hard question to answer. I think I know which, how you're going to answer it, but how long would you expect someone to see improvements if they're willing to give this a go, maybe contact someone like you, maybe work through those four steps that you mentioned? Um, is there a common healing timeframe or at least like a timeframe when people would start to notice that there's a difference? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's a tough question to ask, like you said, um, but I would say it is actually incredibly common that especially somebody who has a lot of fear, a lot of like catastrophizing, catastrophizing thoughts, somebody who is, if you're spending, you know, hours Googling this, or it's taking up your thoughts, like, right, like so much of your mind space is spent on this. I actually find those people see results very rapidly. Like, within two to three weeks, like, or two to three sessions, I would say, really being like, something has shifted, like massive shifts in their ability to become an outside observer of themselves and what is happening. And so what really comes down or has the potential to come down very rapidly and to have really dramatic effects on the quality of life is those fear and anxiety levels. Um, some people really can see very, it like still like shocks me when, you know, somebody will come back on their second session or third session. They're like, oh my God, like it, life is different. Like I can be present. I can, you know, go about my day completely different. Like I can sleep better, right? Like they have so many improvements. The pain itself may or may not be affected by that. However, that, that is way, I find that to be way more unpredictable how somebody's pain responds. Some people will get, I mean, I have had people again, shock me and like, they're like, I'm, I'm good. Like my pain actually just went away once I stopped thinking about it and like brought down the fear. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that was easy. Cool. Um, but you know, in more complex cases, especially in cases where there is a more traumatic childhood or like, you know, a more complex trauma that's involved, a lot more spaciousness is needed in terms of like bringing down the actual nervous system and, and pain levels. But you usually see a gradual decrease over time. It's not like some like, you know, overnight thing. Yep. I've had very similar experiences because if someone does have chronic pain, let's say they've had it for 12 months, which isn't uncommon in the people that I see, um, I like to tell them, yeah, the, to overcome that pain, it's going to take a lot of unwinding, a lot of, you know, work on yourself to um, redefine the the rehab and the, the approach itself. But in terms of the nervous system, because we know that at by that stage, their pain presentation is mainly to do with their brain and the nervous system being wound up, you can unwind your nervous system in an instant. Like it takes meditation or breath work. You know, there's a lot of mm -hmm. breath work that can settle down that nervous system within a couple of minutes. And so oh, yeah. I, I like to say to people, um, and I have seen it, people with chronic pain, not budging, just a lot of, a, a lot of discomfort and uh, dysfunction throughout their day really take a turn in it in as simple as two weeks. And that is really encouraging and encourages them to continue exploring this idea because if they've done rehab for so long and not really budged, but then they start doing a few little interventions that help the nervous system and then they start seeing improvements instantly, um, that's all the more buy-in for them to continue pursuing and sort of doubling down on those approaches. And you can see those effects, those benefits compound over time, which is really encouraging for a lot of people. Yes, totally. And I even appreciate like the reminder from you of that because like you were talking, I was like, I like always need to remind myself that I tend to see, especially now, 
really complex people who have kind of already done all the mind body work. So not only have they done all the rehab and they've done all the physical therapy and chiropractor, it's like, they've also gone through every online program and done all the big ones that exist. And so by the time they come to me, there's a lot of layers or there's a complexity that's been missed. And so I will say my clients, you know, sometimes it, it takes longer and I forget sometimes how, when when people are either new to this or introduced to it in a way, or they just don't have that complexity in their system, how freaking rapid it can be. Like really you're like just one meditation or one guided process can absolutely bring down pain levels. And, and I just want to say for any listeners who have tried that and they have been frustrated because they've heard stories like that or heard testimonials like that of like, you're not alone because that's a lot of my clients of they get like everybody else is doing this mind body stuff and, and curing themselves. Like what's wrong with me? So they have more layers of just like self blame and, you know, feeling broken and things like that. And often what I find for those people is that it is not safe to be in their body. So to even just sitting down and breathing is their nervous system interprets that as a threat. And so it actually becomes really challenging. They'll, 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 a lot of times they'll either not be able to like sit down to do a process or even to do the work. Like maybe they've signed up for these courses and like sort of done it, but they haven't really like ever paused enough to actually do the practices or when they do their nervous system actually ramps up and freaks out, which is what happened to me when I would try to do this work. Um, was like, I would be on like sometimes group calls and you never know, be like, oh, that was so relaxing. That was so wonderful. And I'm like, my nervous system feels like it is screaming now. <laughs> like I do, I feel worse. <laughs> what is wrong with me? And so I, so I just want to recognize that if you are somebody who's like, these practices haven't feel good. Like there is like, don't, don't give up on this, that there is a way to find safety in your body and it just takes like kind of working at this outer layer first. And the really cool thing is for people who have done a lot of, I guess, pre-work or who have been exposed to a lot of this work, that when we kind of do that at a layer of finding safety, it's almost like all the work that they did and all the knowledge they have, it's like it clicks into place and then they like accelerate off in their results. Like you see like such a... Like once everything clicks, it's like, bam, then everything that they've been doing just like takes off and like, just like, I don't know, it's really, it's a really cool thing. You just like see such a shift. It just might take longer to get to that shift. Good to remind people about that as well. Um, I wanted to ask if someone is listening to this and they're sort of suspecting, okay, maybe there's other things I can do in my recovery to help. Um, they're not ready to make the leap to have a therapist or do some online stuff, but they're willing to dip their toes in and kind of explore, um, what would be some first steps for them um, to try to see, to try to, I guess, unwind the nervous system um, and see how it goes from there? And maybe if maybe a couple of different things, because maybe someone tries like meditation and they just, it doesn't really rub them the right way. They don't, it doesn't really vibe with them and they sort of dismiss it. Um, what, what steps could you have for people just to dip their toes in? And, and it's like, there's so many different ones depending on where it is. So I'm actually going to say one of the first things that I'd recommend is understanding what your body's response to your pain even is so you can personalize your steps a little bit better. Because somebody who reacts with fear, for instance, towards their pain is going to benefit from a different approach than somebody who really has that like deep unsafety with their body. Um, versus somebody who has a lot of more perfectionist traits, but maybe like they don't have the fear and anxiety around their pain at all. And they're like, that doesn't feel true. But in their daily life, there is a lot of perfectionism that's just leading to tension in their nervous system. So I actually have an assessment that's super easy. It's like a PDF. You can just check the boxes of like, what what is true for you? And in that you can define what your pain response archetype is. And then I give specific instructions or not instructions, next steps for your specific archetype. So that way you can get that personalized next step. And I'm like, I'm like, I think I have seven or eight of the archetypes. I should know off the top of my head and I totally don't. <laughs> so it's like, it, it really is different from person to person. So it's, it's just understanding that what works for one person may not work for somebody else. So first understand what's true for you. 
And I mean, that assessment's a super easy way to do it. It's, it's free. It's easy. You don't have to talk to anybody. You can do it in the privacy of your own home and get the next steps from there. If that's okay. How for, can people get uh, that? Is that PDF on your website or something? Um, it is in my Instagram right now, and I can send you the link if that's possible to put in the show notes. Um, but in my Instagram yep. and my link tree, it is there. Okay. Yeah. I'll Maybe definitely put that in the show notes for people. To my website. Because <laughs> that would be a smart thing to do. Technology. <laughs> <But yes. laughs> Excellent. Um, yes, I'll definitely include that in the show notes and um, people can check that out. And I might hand it out to some of my clients as well. Um, the other question I get is managing flare-ups. And the, I guess, rehab goes well, goes well, goes well. Just say steadily improving for six weeks, eight weeks. And then all of a sudden, a big flare up and it sets them back and a lot of the uh, not only pain, but frustration sort of floods along with it. And people second guess themselves. Is this really working? I thought I was improving. Now I'm not. Am I going to lose all this progress? Um, do you have advice for people who may be in that or experiencing that type of sensation and um, yeah, what, what you can do for people that do experience those flare ups? Yeah, I think one it's so important to understand that flare-ups are really common with mind-body type pain or chronic pain. Um, it's just the nature of the nervous system. And so I'll, I'll assume we're talking about a flare-up where it's kind of like not really expected or like there wasn't anything that, you know, outwardly created it. And a lot of times having that moment to just come into compassion with yourself to be like, yeah, I'm experiencing a flare up like that. That sucks. And here I am, right? That's the meeting yourself where you are of like, and I'm in here, right? And not staying in the resistance to it or not wanting it to be true because that just keeps us stuck and will actually keep us in the flare up long, longer. But kind of having that like, okay, I am in a flare up. <laughs> I don't have to like it. I'm just acknowledging I'm in it. And you know, if there is any type of practice that you have to either like release any frustration, you can do that. Of just like, I like to, I'm a big fan of having people throw many temper tantrums about things, right? Like <laughs> if you got to let it out, let it out. And then, <laughs> and then you can come to this place of like, okay, what is, do I, do I even need to do anything here? And, and that it can be this really amazing, a flare up can be this really powerful opportunity to learn something new about your nervous system and about your body. And, and you get to choose if you want to make it that type of moment or not, but assuming, you know, you're like, okay, what, what is, what is this here for? Like, what is, what, what could I learn from this? It might be understanding that maybe the flare up happened because a boundary in your life was crossed, like in a relationship or at work. Maybe you realize, like you look back on the past week and you're like, oh, wow, I said yes to staying late, like every night this week. And that was actually my body's way of protecting me and being like, we're done. Like, stop. You don't want to stay late at work. Like you need to come home and rest. You want to come home and spend time with your family. And if you're not going to say it, then your body's like, well, I'm going to say it. <laughs> and so it's like, it's, it's almost a way of it speaking up for you and protecting you. And so it might just be like looking at it like that, or maybe it's, you know, a matter of, you know, again, maybe you get stuck in go, 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 and you were skipping your daily walks or, you know, maybe nutrition kind of fell off the wagon that week or something. And, you know, it's like really evaluating like what happened here. And can I look at this with just such curiosity? I'm like, wow, it's so fascinating that, you know, my body responds this way in response to stress or lack of sleep or my boundaries being crossed or, or for some people, sometimes it can happen when really good things happen. And maybe they're not used to that. Maybe actually there's somebody who's been a little closed off and they're not, you know, they, they're a little uh, hesitant with opening up to people and maybe they're in a new relationship and th their partner's really kind to them and really loving and did something so sweet and their body doesn't know if that's safe. And so their body freaks out in response to that, right? And it's just getting to be like, huh, what's this about? Because when we can understand why the flare up is there, then it's like, oh, it is like such a um, magnification of what is going on in the nervous system. But it takes the willingness to go there in the midst of 
of pain. And, and it might be like, you don't have to do that right away. Like you can go rest, go sleep, go do whatever you have to do to just like move through it. And then knowing you will make it through the other side. Most people who've had chronic pain have had flare ups. And it's just looking back and being like, I've made it through every flare up I've had. Maybe not prettily, maybe it didn't feel good, but I've made it through. And just that I, I trust that I'm going to make it through this one. And then when you get to the other side of it, mm. then you can do the like re- reflection piece. You don't have to do that. Like while you're in the midst of it. <laughs> um, yeah. I could so, be yeah, a testament yeah. for everything you've just talked about because like at the time of recording, it's like the end of January. And I think during the Christmas holiday period, about 40% of my caseload unexplained flare ups. And yep. I was, <laughs> I, I say it every, like the year before that um, on, I have a, a, a second PHT podcast, but I put an episode on there called festive season flare ups. And I talk through like, you know, I guess highlighting the things that come up around the festive season that sort of work on your um, nervous system as well as stress, but as well as like sugars and alcohol. And um, even like you mentioned, this could be a happy time for people and that could even change. But a lot of people also experience a lot of stress and sometimes yes. like they get into depressive states during the festive seasons and there's just a time of the year where people like sometimes just let go and sort of process things and sometimes that's accompanied by pain and I have a lot of my clients saying like where did this come from and I'm like I don't know but it's happening to everyone and I think one thing that can reassure them is that it's not damaged like this is where we need to remind ourselves that hurt doesn't equal harm because you haven't ran a marathon the day before and experienced this flare up. It is unexplained. It's just popped up out of nowhere. And this is like you've said, we should be curious about it. I'm very curious about it and wanting to try to unpeel sort of what the mechanisms that might be underlying that. But one thing they can always fall back to is like, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything. I didn't overload myself in any particular way. I do have more pain, but I know that this hurt does not equal harm. It doesn't equal more damage. I haven't hurt myself or damaged my tendon any more than the condition is exactly the same than what it is pre-flare up. So constantly reminding themselves of that can help the the experience, I guess. But um, just piggybacking off what you've just explained there, I see a massive correlation with those sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think moving out of any like self-blame or like beating yourself up is like the fastest way to like move out of it and just noticing I always like encourage people of like you know sometimes we can uh understand that self-blame and you know beating ourselves up doesn't help but if you're like me then you might find yourself beating yourself up for beating yourself up because you know you're not beating yourself up <laughs> and you're like oh wait yeah. a minute I'm not supposed to do, do that a lot what's wrong with me right <laughs> Yeah. And so, so it's just like having the like compassion and even bringing in humor of like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious that I was about to beat myself up for beating myself up. Like, I love that I'm recognizing this and like, you know, how can you come into this like humor, um, this playfulness, this curiosity piece, whatever feels accessible to you about it? Because unfortunately, um, yeah, staying in that it keeps you from getting curious, keeps you from learning more, keeps you from understanding it deeper. Yeah. And one other thing that I just wanted to share, I know um, towards the middle start of this conversation, you talked about um, the identity that people hold when it comes to being injured. And um, I have a, a, a client that's in our membership at the moment and I won't give away their name, but we're saying, I was on the call with them. They're like, Brody, I'm fitter than I've ever been. I'm running further. I'm lifting heavier than ever. And I'm still telling myself that I'm injured. I'm still classifying myself as an injured person. And I don't know why I'm doing that. And they made this conscious decision to rethink how they're approaching things and feeling a lot better because of it. And so uh, I guess I'm just sharing that for anyone who's listening, who think they might have some sort of attachment to their identity or a certain narrative that they're telling themselves that may be preventing them from actually, you know, getting, breaking through some of the, this pain experience that they're having and actually kicking their rehab up a notch. So um, important to sort of highlight those things. 
Oh, that's so important. I love that story. And I love that he was able to like work through that with you. Um, that's, that's amazing. And yeah. And I think the other thing, and I personally experienced this, I had, um, I was in a really bad car accident and had post-concussive syndrome. And because of it, I was out of uh, work. Like it was bad enough that I really couldn't work. And at the time I was at a job that was, you know, it was, it was a great clinic. Like I, I can't complain at all about that, but it was, we were very overworked. I was doing a lot. Like I was, I was already burned out when I got into this car accident and I found myself as I was feeling better, like resisting getting better. Cause I didn't want to go back to work. Right. It was like this dread, right. like someone would be like, how are you feeling? And then I'd be like, <gasps> I'd like realize, Oh my gosh, wait a minute. I'm feeling better. And then I would like lie. <laughs> I'd be like, I feel horrible. And then I'm like, Oh my gosh, why did I just lie about the fact that I feel, wor-? you know what I mean? I was like, this, this like implication of what does healing mean? I recently had a client that kind of came to this realization of if she was healed, she would have to go to the grocery store again. Cause right now her husband does all the grocery shopping. And she was like, I hate the grocery store. Like I, I, I cannot let him see that I can walk around enough that cause then he's going to send me to the grocery store. And it was just such an interesting thing, right? Of like how many things she was being held back in life from doing it. But it was like this fear of going to the grocery store that was making it. So she was, I mean, not, she was unconsciously giving up all these other possibilities for herself. So we worked through that really positively, but sometimes it's, it's almost like a fear of healing because there can be, sometimes we get some positive benefits out of being injured or being in pain. Yeah, I think it's very important that we share these type of things because um, they they might sound a little bit silly, but you might be thinking those thoughts and not actually processing those thoughts. And it's until someone ex- explains it or gives examples, and you're like, actually, you know what? Maybe I'm doing a little bit of that myself. Um, so yeah, appreciate you sharing that. And is there any other? final thoughts, any pain misconceptions, anything that you we haven't covered or maybe something you want to repeat that we've already talked about um, as we're wrapping up here to help people through these um, through their chronic pain? I think the biggest thing is that if life is not feeling like what you expected it to be and it feels like pain is holding you back, there's always ways to move forward. And, you know, if you've been told there's nothing else you can do, or you even feel like you've exhausted options, it's like, there's just, there's just always something. (laughs) And, and so to really trust that desire, trust that hope that's there and really stepping into curiosity of like, you know, what, what could it be? What is the next step? What am I missing? You know, what, what is it that I maybe don't want to see, or am I, I'm unwilling to see right now and, and just getting like, Again, bringing in that that playfulness and curiosity, it's amazing how far that that goes, and just keeping with the vision that you have for your life, and really knowing that it's it's possible. Like there's always a way forward. There's always a yeah. way to get unstuck out of pain. Talk about your podcast. You have the Unweaving Chronic Pain. Um, what would ex- people expect if they were to listen to that podcast? Yeah, um, I cover a wide range of things on that podcast. And especially if you kind of go back to some of the earlier episodes, I really get into a lot about the nervous system. Like if you want to kind of get nerdy about things, like the earlier episodes are the ones to listen to. And I talk a lot about a concept called nervous system safety. That might be a really interesting one to listen to if you have related to some of these things that we've talked about. And And then there's a lot of amazing interviews with people who approach the nervous system in different ways, have their own stories to share. And I go into different concepts because the nervous system's complex. So I, you know, I'm really looking at different ways to approach it and different tools that I use, like the ancestral trauma, um, or maybe different types of, you know, healing modalities and, and how to, you know, bring them in for yourself. And I always tell people that when you listen in, it's like, notice like what, what just resonates with you? You know, you might listen to an episode and be like, no, nah, that's not, you know, that's not for me. Uh, you might listen to something else and be like, oh, that there's something there. I don't even understand what that is yet. Or I don't know what it is, but there's just something. And it's like, trust that, that gut <laughs> instinct. And, and then you can dive more into that specific topic or reach out um, if you want to learn more about it. 
Yeah. I know your website is drandrewmore.com. Um, if people are interested in working with you, I know you said at the start you do one-on-ones and you also do group stuff. Um, what does it actually look like working with you? Yeah. So one-on-one, I go really deep dive and personal with my clients. So one-on-one, you are not only getting sessions with me, but um, my clients have, uh, there's an app called Voxer. I don't know. It's kind of like WhatsApp where you can like voice mem- memo, like in between sessions. So it's like, we, we go deep. Like you have really access to keep working this in and bringing this work into, into daily life, which is just really cool. Cause we can get amazing stuff done in like three to six months. And then I have a group called the pain to power program, which is a 12 week program where you are like walk through the whole self integration method. You get the tools that go along with it and how to work with your nervous system, how to listen to your nervous system, how to rewire different beliefs, both from like a conscious and a subconscious level, and also how to take aligned action in different ways in daily life, because there can be a lot of barriers. So it's, there's a lot of, you know, walking you through kind of what to do when you get stuck. <laughs> Cause I think a lot of people, uh, kind of know what they're supposed to do, quote unquote, and, but we get stuck along the way. And so there's just a lot of troubleshooting. And then um, in the group calls, there's a lot of opportunity for um, getting personal and going deeper into different topics. And so best way to just reach out is on Instagram. Um, If you're on Instagram, I'm Dr. Andrea Moore. Feel free to just DM me to ask more about that, or you can contact me through my website. Excellent. Yep. All that will be in the show notes. And um, we're definitely well aligned with the pain when it comes to rehabbing. Uh, it's It's been great to, to go through um, your understanding and helping people with their chronic pain as well. And if I can, you know, it's obviously you're very passionate about this, you know, your arms are waving. I think I counted, you hit the microphone about two or three times. And if people are wondering what that <laughs> thought is, it's just, it just goes to show how passionate you are. Your, your arms are swinging around. You're very animated and um, you love talking about this sort of stuff. And so uh, it, it easily comes across how um, passionate you are, how, how much you understand about this and how much you love working with people. So Thanks for coming on. People definitely check you out if they have more questions or information about working with you. And yeah, I want to say thanks for coming on and sharing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation. If you are struggling to overcome an injury, you can jump on a free 20-minute injury chat with me, which you can book through my calendar in the show notes. While you're in the show notes, elevate your running IQ by jumping onto my free email list so you can receive material to help rehab your injury, lower your injury risk, and increase your performance. If emails aren't for you, consider my Facebook group, Instagram, and YouTube channels. And remember, each insight you get from these resources brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough.